following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Starflight. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. I am Wickflick, a planet Zorton, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. <laughs> This is Thomas P. Fusco, and I am now another voice inside of the Jackal's head. You are about to enter a new dimension inside. There's one secret question you can't ask. If they know the answer to this question, and they're definitely aliens. They have to tell you in detail what these ingredients are for the secret sauce in the Gordita Crunch at Taco Bell. Only the aliens and the folks at Taco Bell know these secret ingredients for the secret sauce on the Gordita Crunch. The Jackal! And now we're coming for all of you. <laughs> this is Dito going into Jackal's head. And I hope everybody tunes in and listens. These boys know what they're doing. They really got it. They know what they're doing. The OnStar aliens are coming for you, June. We're coming. I'm honing on unusual sounds, irregular sounds, almost any rhythmic low frequency vibration. I'm Jeremiah Greer from Shadows in the Dark Radio, and I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Stephen Jacobson, and I'm now a voice in the Jackal's head. Get ready for a lot of fun and excitement. The Jackal. All right, everybody, welcome to Inside the Jackal's Head on, of course, PSN Radio and SoFlow Radio. We have uh, a real good guest tonight, Mr. Thomas P. Fusco is going to be with us uh, later on tonight. I have a lot of news that I want to get to and uh, something that has actually not made the news, uh, something that just happened uh, the last couple of days that I wanted to uh, kind of address a little bit. And I want to give a special shout out to a certain friend of mine who's going through some tough times right now. Um, before we get to that, though, I want to also give a shout-out to one of my cousins who broke his leg last week. Uh, if you didn't notice, I was supposed to be on last week with Thomas uh, Fusco, and uh, I didn't make it to the show, I actually ended up uh, going to the hospital with a cousin of mine who broke his leg. At a little, He had a little incident last week, and it was just kind of ugly, so I wanted to apologize to the audience who might have been expecting Thomas to be on last week, but we do have him on this week, so there you go. Thomas Fusco will be on this week. i got a, a lot of entertainment news to get to, a lot of uh, stuff uh, that's been coming our way the last few days, uh, including uh, an incident with uh, Justin Bieber, who now is uh, becoming a tough guy, I guess, and he's beating bodyguards up. A uh, transgender teacher sues a Catholic prep school. You ever thought you ever hear that? As a news article somewhere? No, right? Well, here, there it is. Uh, Saudis defend Sri Lanka's uh, made execution. I don't know if you guys heard about this case. I'm going to talk about all that, including the 12, uh, 2013 Oscar nominations that just came out. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 finds his own Harry Osborn. And I don't know if you guys are following up with uh, what's going on with the uh, sequel to The Amazing Spider-Man. But the cast for the movie is uh, swinging into clear view now. Marvel's confirmed that actor Dane DeHaan whom you may have seen on In Treatment as uh, Jesse D'Amato's or this year's Lawless alongside Shea LaBeouf has signed on to portray Harry Osborn. Last month, uh, THR reported that Sam Cleffin, Eddie Redman, and Douglas Booth 
and Boyd Halbrook were among the actors testing for the part of Peter Parker's friend and eventual enemy. They had also uh, one of the names floating around initially, and seems that he's won over uh, director Mark Webb, as he called him, uh, and, and an executive, an extraordinary young actor. He's, that's what he, uh, the director called this young man. And he said it was a fantastic addition to our cast. Uh, joining the hand are Shalene Woodley, uh, the secret life of uh, American teenagers, the movie she's been in, an actress who uh, says here was the talk to play Mary Jane as well. And uh, she was in the talks to play Mary Jane. I don't know if that's the part she's going to play, but uh, it says here, Jamie Foxx uh, was also uh, circling the role of Electro. Emma Stone will also be back as, uh, of course, his uh, girlfriend in this one. And um, Andrew Garfield is going to return. That's right. He's going to be returning this year for the Spider-Man sequel, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which opens up in 2014 next year. So we still have a, a little bit to go before we have this movie come out. But congratulations are in order to Dane DeHaan, the new Harry Osborn. And uh, one thing that's good about this guy, he looks nothing like the guy who portrayed Harry Osborn in the last one. You know, James Franco, they went... Completely different in the, in the look. Uh, he looks a little young, too, so, I mean, I guess that kind of follows the storyline. You know, they didn't really show Norman Osborn. I don't know if they're going to show him this time around or what's going to happen, happen there, but uh, hopefully they do show Norman Osborn in the sequel. So if you guys want to check that out, there's more, I'm sure, online. Just type in uh, the name Dane, that's D-A-N-E, Dane DeHan, D-E-H-A-A-N. And uh, you'll find out more info on him, the new Harry Osborn. And I'm sure you can find it also on uh, SuperheroHype.com and all the other uh, websites to deal with these kind of uh, stories. Superhero movies are all in the news. Michael Bay is a director, of course, not of a superhero movie, but he has Transformers news coming out. And he says uh, here the, the, the name Jack Rayner likely doesn't sound familiar now, but you should uh, be well acquainted by the time Transformers 4 is released. Michael Bay revealed on his website today, uh, actually, uh, he revealed it on Tuesday, not today, but he revealed that he tapped Rainer to star alongside Mark Wahlberg in the upcoming Transformers uh, 4 installment. Uh, he says here he's an Irish kid that came to America with 30 bucks in his pockets. Bay wrote of Rainer, pretty ballsy. Seriously, who does that? Well... That's a good story, I guess. Anyway, I spotted him with a great little Irish in a great little Irish movie. It says here, uh, what Richard did, this kid was the real deal. Bay's latest go-around with the action franchise is slated to arrive in 2014, and the filmmaker has clarified that it won't be a reboot. It will be a sequel. This movie takes place exactly four years after the war in Chicago, Bay said on the uh, site. The story makes uh, a very nature transition. Or a very natural transition, sorry, misread that. Very natural t- transition. Uh, so you're in seeing that this movie will be a brand new, uh, will have a brand new cast with the uh, former franchise star LaBeouf publicly washing his hands of the series. We believe Bay when he says that the Transformers will feel very different in the last three. We were embarking on, an, on a trilogy, and now we're not. Transformer 4 is expected to be filming this spring. So there you go. It's going to be a little bit different. No Shia LaBeouf, but it's going to have Mark Wahlberg. I don't know how I feel about that. Marky Mark, as long as he doesn't bring the Funky Bunch with him, I guess we'll be okay. And, you know, that joke kind of gets old after a while because I know he's heard it a billion times. You know, don't bring the Funky Bunch with you. We'll be okay. But, uh, you know, it's it's Mark Wahlberg, man. You know, there's only so much that you could uh, really watch Mark Wahlberg in. He hasn't made that many great movies. You know, he's a good actor, but he hasn't made that many great movies. And, and I'm sorry, he's always going to be synonymous with the Funky Bunch. Always will. 
Now, a movie that I, I saw this week and I wanted to really tell everybody about, and I saw it on Amazon. Now, this movie is actually going to be out in theaters, I believe, at the end of this month, on the 25th, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Pete? 25th, right? Yeah, 25th of this month, is, it comes out in theaters. But you could actually watch it early. If you want to watch it now, you pay 10 bucks on Amazon. It's a great promotion they're doing. And it's John Dies at the End. Now, you can watch it there before it hits theaters. I suggest you guys just go there. This is a crazy film. It's it's really funny. It's a horror movie by uh, Don Cascarelli. Now, if you don't know who Don Cascarelli is, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the movie Phantasm. If you guys haven't, damn shame on you. Go watch the movie Phantasm. The, like, all four parts are brilliant. But Don Cascarelli, he uh, is the director of that. He directed this film. Uh, Doug Jones, who we all love here on Inside the Jackal's Head, is a big part of this movie. He he's uh, he plays a, a nice uh, role in the film. And uh, it's from the studio of Magnolia Pictures. Also has uh, Paul Giamatti in it, which I don't know if you guys are fans of his, but Paul Giamatti is in this, and he's actually very funny and, uh, and a good twist at the end. With this character, by the way, a uh, very very funny movie. I, you know, I hope everybody checks it out. Um, it's uh, the uh, the whole premise of the movie is there's a new drug that promises an out of body experience. The users do come back, change forever. Now they come change because they have visions of you know otherworldly things that come to them. They start having um, clairvoyance and, and they start being being able to see the future and all kinds of stuff. And uh, well, let's just say that the uh, two kids who have the uh, main experience. And the kid named John are very funny, and uh, it's a very, very funny movie. Uh, it's uh, about two misfits trying to stop the oncoming horror and possibly the end of the world. That's right. And it's from the director of Phantasm in the Bubba Hotep movie, which that's another brilliant movie. I don't know if anybody's seen that who's listening right now. Uh, if you guys haven't seen Bubba Hotep, man, that's a, a very, very funny very, very funny Don Cascarelli movie. So, guys, check that one out. John Dies at the End. You can check it out again on Amazon.com. Uh, just type in John Dies at the End, where uh, the search for uh, movies and TV, and you should be able to pull it right up. And you should be able to see it still for the next couple of days. I don't know how long they're going to have it on there, because the film does officially come out in theaters this month. Uh, so, again, I don't know. Uh, you know, It's a cool promotion, but I don't know if there's going to be anything extra for the movie while it's in theaters or, you know, if... Maybe they can add some more scenes. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, but either way, if you just you know want to pay ten bucks now, just sit at home and watch it. Go for it. You have a forty-eight hour rental of the thing, so you could watch it a couple times uh, for ten bucks, which is not bad at all. So John dies at the end. Go check it out. Doug Jones is in that man. That's awesome. He's getting a lot of work, which is really really cool. So wanted to promote that. Another movie because you know, like I was supposed to do a show last week, and I was going to go all into a movie that I saw this past week, which I really loved. And uh, I wanted to really talk about it, and we didn't get a chance to because I didn't do a show. So I ended up talking a little bit about it on uh, the show of uh, the Answer to Movie Troll Insanity we did this past week with uh, Zod Ryder and Johnny Alpha and California Guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, that movie is Django Unchained. And uh, as you guys were listening to the very beginning of the show tonight, you heard one of the songs from Django Unchained. Uh, that that movie, man, let me tell you, this is one of the best movies I've seen in a very long time. Now, I'm not a Tarantino buff. I do like some of his uh, work. Uh, but Django Unchained was probably beyond anything that I expected. You know, California guy has been hyping that movie up for a long time. He really, he's been talking about it. He 
He's read the the script, and as you know, you guys that were listening to this past Thursday, he really knows a lot about the film. And uh, you know, I thought oh, he's just hyping it because it's, Qu- it's Quentin Tarantino. He's a fan, and uh, this and that. But you know, I I saw it just I went in not knowing you know much about the storyline other than the basic premise that it dealt with slavery and Leonardo DiCaprio was in it, which I know some people don't like. But uh, you know, I, I didn't go in with any really big pre- you know preconceived notions of the film and ended up really loving the movie it ended up becoming my second favorite movie of uh, 2012 uh, which is amazing because you know we had of course a lot of great movies that came out came out last year from avengers to the uh, dark knight rises and a lot of really good movies came out this past year but honestly Django unchained was to me the second best movie right after rises it really was. I love the movie. I think that uh, Jamie Foxx uh, deserves an Academy Award. Uh, Christopher Waltz, who played uh, Schultz, Dr. King Schultz, uh, he deserves an Academy Award because he was brilliant in the movie also. Uh, the screenplay was very well written. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio got snubbed, but because, you know, Dr. King Schultz was uh, nominated as Best uh, Supporting Actor, Christopher Waltz got the nomination over Leonardo. But I'll tell you what, that could have gone either way. Leo was amazing in this movie. Let me tell you, I'm not a fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. I hated Titanic. Have not been a fan of anything that this guy's ever done, really. Um, you know, I saw him a couple times in Groin Pains, and I didn't totally hate him in Groin Pains. But other than that, I'm not a fan of Leo. Uh, let's see, he was in, in uh, Critters 4, I think, and I hated him in that. So, you know, he's always been in stuff that I just... No, I really just, I'm not a fan. So, uh, you know, I went in, knowing that he was in it, I expected him to kind of, you know, annoy me a little bit, but he, but he didn't, he really didn't. The character he plays, you know, beyond the fact that he's an extremely racist character, uh, he nails the character. I mean, he really does become the character of, of Calvin Candy. And uh, he, you know, once you spend like five minutes watching him on screen, you forget that it's Leonardo DiCaprio all the way, which is uh, just brilliant. And uh, his acting uh, probably is the best acting I've ever seen from Leo, by far. And I know some people are like, well, Shutter Island was a great film. Yeah, but not as good as this. This really was a very, very entertaining uh, acting job by Leonardo DiCaprio. And again, the overall production of the film was just phenomenal. This movie deserves several Academy Awards. It really does. Now, whether it would get him, I don't know. Deserving? Yes. Actually, getting them, I'm not too sure, because as you know, the the academies, let me tell you, they're very, very fickle when it comes to giving these kind of movies nominations and awards. The fact that it got nominated, it's amazing. But it has some heavy competition. I will say, you know, movies like Life of Pi, uh, which are just fantastic films. I mean, that's a going to be a tough movie to beat. Uh, you know, it, let me tell you, I saw Life of Pi and I saw Django Unchained. I like Django Unchained more than Life of Pi. I did like Life of Pi. I think it's a great film also. Uh, it's not, to me, as good as Django Unchained, but Django Unchained is a completely different movie. And uh, Life of Pi is more artsy and stuff. And that's what the Academy likes. They like the artsy-fartsy stuff. So I think Life of Pi, Lincoln... Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild, those movies are just going to clean up at the Oscars this year. Uh, those are the nominations, really. Um, Argo is another one that has a, a very good chance of winning a lot of awards. Uh, ben Affleck is uh, nominated for that, as well as for Best Director. Now, here's the thing. For a lot of the comic book nerds that listen to this show and we, you know, and that are friends of mine, uh, you know, I know a lot of comic book nerds, uh, Ben Affleck's name has been thrown in there with, of course, a possibility of directing Justice League. Now, if he wins... Best director for Argo. 
do you think all the nerds that are kind of against the idea of Ben Affleck directing Justice League might start to come around and and might say, you know what, the guy just won a, an Academy Award. Maybe we should give them a chance. Because obviously he knows what he's doing. He knows how to direct the film. Uh, you know, let me tell you something. Ben Affleck is a great director. Whether he wins this award or not, Argo, I haven't seen it. I've heard nothing but great reviews for it. I, I'm actually planning to see it pretty soon, so I will be giving probably my own review in the future on the movie itself, but he is a, a, a great director. He's a good actor, but I think he's a better director than he is an actor, and I think the fact that he's been with so many uh, big productions and small productions, he's done a lot of both. He's done independent films, and he's worked on big blockbusters, and that uh, has actually made him a better director because he's learned to kind of, you know, observe other directors like the Kevin Smith and Michael Bays and all these other great directors that are, you know, doing their movies, and he's observed and he's kind of, you know, stolen a little bit from each one of them and molded himself as a director, and I think that's what makes him such a great director. The fact that he's worked with so many people over the last decade, uh, decade and a half, almost two decades long, he's been around for for a good while, Ben Affleck, so uh, just that fact, you know, that he's been around in so many productions, I think that's what makes him such a talented director, and I'm telling you, if they offer him Justice League, I don't want anybody to bitch or complain, I think he will be actually a very good choice uh, in bringing Justice League uh, to the uh, to the world, and it's funny because a lot of you know a few years ago, for a long time, he was spoken about by a lot of people as a possibility uh, for the role of Superman. He ended up, of course, playing uh, Daredevil and not Superman. But you know, in some way or another, he'll he'll end up back with Superman. You know, if he does Justice League, so uh, maybe it was fate. Who knows? But uh, there you go. Director, I would definitely, I would go with uh, either Quentin or Ben Affleck, uh, just from all the hype and the stuff that I've heard from Argo. But uh, so yeah, among the nominations, the announcements, biggest surprise, Argo director Ben Affleck and Zero Dark Thirty director Catherine Bigelow were left out of the best director field. Instead, underdog contenders and first-time nominees Michael Hennig for Amor and Ben Zatlini, or Zatlin for Beast of the Southern Wild will face off with Spielberg, Lee, and David O. Russell. Silver Lightning uh, playbook. Now, Steven Spielberg is nominated, guys, and uh, that's going to be a tough one to beat uh, because it is Steven Spielberg. The, you know, he's probably the greatest director of all time, so let's be honest. So anytime he's nominated for anything, you know he has a very good chance of winning. Now, Le, Les Miserables, which uh, Les, I'm probably butchering the hell out of that, Les Les Miserables, Les Miserables, uh, and Silver Lightning playbook both scored eight nominations. Silver Lightning became the first film since 1981's Reds to land nods for all four acting categories, Best Actor, uh, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress, uh, with nominations in Best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, and end Editing. Now, that's that's amazing. That's uh, a lot of nominations for that flick. Even without an Affleck nomination, Argo managed seven nominations, including Best Adapted, Adapted Screenplay, Supporting Actor, Alan Arkin got the nomination, uh, Amor and uh, let's see, Django Unchained, Skyfall, Zero, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, also each landed five uh, nominations, while Anna Karenina and Beasts of the Southern Wild earned four nominations. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, or as I called it in my review this past week, An Unexpected Disappointment, and The Master both, uh, both earned uh, three nominations. Uh, the Hobbits, uh, this year, noms were all technical categories, of course, because it didn't have much of a best picture or anything. Yeah, it looked like a pretty movie, but 
Man, what a boring-ass pretty movie to look at. With the year's biggest hit, Marvel's The Avengers uh, picked up a single nomination for Best Visual Effects. That was shocking. Only one nomination for that movie. And the comic book rival The Dark Knight Rises was completely shut out of the running despite previous noms for both Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Uh, now, this movie I thought was better than Batman Begins. While I loved Batman Begins, don't get me wrong, and I love The Dark Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises was, I think, better than Batman Begins. And... Uh, while I love The Dark Knight a little bit more, it's almost right there on scale with The Dark Knight. So I don't know why this didn't get at least Best Picture or, or Best Director. I mean, Christopher Nolan definitely deserved a nomination for The Dark Knight Rises. He managed to make a Part 3 good. When was the last time you actually saw a third movie in the series that was actually good? They didn't get watered down. They didn't get stupid. They didn't just have you know a a cast that looked like they were just going through the motions and a director that just felt sloppy. You know this movie was really well put together. Uh, it deserved a few nominations and it got none. Completely snubbed. I don't know if this has anything to do uh, with something personal against uh, Christopher Nolan. No ideas, you know? I don't know if maybe there's some uh, the Academy uh, is holding a grudge on, maybe because he's not doing any more Batman after this. I don't know. Uh, that's, that has something to do with it. Who knows? But the fact that it got snubbed like that is really shocking. The fact that the Avengers only got one nomination for Best Visual Effects, that's the biggest movie of the year, guys. I mean, that's the second biggest film of all times. How the hell do you only give it one nomination for Best Visual Effects? How about Best Sound, Best Editing, Best Script? I mean, that's not an easy script to put together to put all those superheroes in one film. That's a tough thing to do, and they managed to do pretty damn well of a job on that uh so i'm pretty uh shocked this year of the academy awards and uh it's again it goes to show that if you're an artsy fartsy film you're going to make it up there but if you're a comic book movie uh you have very little chances now of course a dark knight won last year a couple not a couple awards and it won for best supporting actor with heath ledger and all that but heath ledger was obviously assisted by his passing and all the hype and buzz that was built around his death. Uh, so that's you know another reason why I think they gave it to him, just because this was really the last amazing performance we were ever going to see from this guy. So I think there was a little bit of that involved. But this is, uh, again, shocking stuff from the, uh, from the Academy Awards. And, uh, well, nothing much we could do now. You know, this is, uh, it is what it is. I'm kind of pulling for uh, Django Unchained to, to win the best picture. As long as that happens, I'm very happy. Because that's some, that, to me, is the best picture in the ones that are nominated. It really is. Uh, again, it's my second favorite movie of 2012. So, uh, guys, we'll be back here in a couple of minutes. I have Mr. Thomas Fusco who's going to be with us, and we're going to talk to him a little bit more about stuff we were actually talking about a few months ago. He's been on the show before, and it's always a, a great fun to have him on. So stick around on Inside the Jackal's Head on PSN Radio and SoFlo Radio. I know you guys might be listening in on the website. If you want to get into to the chat room, please do so. Uh, they told me there was a little problem with the chat earlier. People couldn't get in. Uh, if that's the case, uh, please send me a Skype uh, message, or if you can get me on Facebook or somewhere on Twitter, let me know. And uh, just uh, listen in on psn radio com or on soflowradio.com and uh, just listen in if you can't get into the chat i'm sorry but if you can the chat room is xat.com forward slash psn radio stick around everybody we will be right back on inside the jackal's head talk stream live introduces our first ever iphone application mobile talk radio Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk stream live. 
now available in the iTunes App Store. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. Superman homepage.com. 4,734 UFO sightings in 2007. Productions by aliens or unknown species, reported by American and British citizens, and hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years, and only one trusted source on information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted connected accurate the ufostore.com expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of ufo products on the internet by going to the ufostore.com or call on the 24 hours seven day a week order line at 541-523-2630 the truth is out there and the ufostore.com has it Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Four years ago, a doorway was opened and evil came to the sleepy little town of Coral Beach, Florida. Existing in the shadows, it has remained unknown, building strength, biding time, and feeding on the hearts and souls of the weak. That is about to change. The time has come to reap what was sown as the death toll rises in an orgy of spilled blood. All that stands between the town and total annihilation is a broken-down pastor and a handful of life's cast-offs. To win, they must first understand what they are facing. To lose means to bring hell to Earth. Coming soon, Friend. The terrifying new novel from storyteller Franklin E. Wales. Details at franklinewales.com. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fella. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. 
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom-built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Hello, Professor Wilberforce Peabody here, on assignment for Unraveling the Secrets. I'm coming to you from the lichen-coated plateau of Ling, where I've been studying the orgiastic rites of the bestial and subhuman pygmy inhabitants. Once each week, these deviant creatures consume vast quantities of lichen stimulants and fermented yak urine, and work themselves into a feverish state while listening to Unraveling the Secrets, thus ensuring the continuation of their species. They found that the show encourages growth in the entire cerebral cortex and cerebellum, resulting in enhanced desire and fertility for males and females alike. Don't be outbred by these promiscuous denizens of the underworld. Listen to the Unraveling the Secrets each week, and do your part to ensure the propagation of the human race before it's too late. Everybody, we are back on Inside the Jackal's Head here on PSN Radio and on SoFlo Radio. Now, with me is my guest, Mr. Thomas P. Fusco, and I have an intro that I have prepared for him uh, for whenever he is back on the show. Uh, so I'm going to play that now. This is going to uh, tell you everything you need to know about this man, but then we're going to hear so much more about Thomas. And uh, last time, we didn't even scratch the surface. Throughout modern history, humanity has made remarkable strides towards unraveling the secrets of the universe. Yet in spite of these impressive scientific achievements, certain fundamental mysteries continue to evade both our powers of reason and our modern physics. Among these are, is there a divine order within the cosmos? What are the causes behind the bizarre events known as paranormal? Are anti-gravity, time travel, and teleportation possible, or are they just food for the fantasy? How was matter created from the void? Is there a gateway to a higher dimension? And what does it look like? Is dark matter real? And why can't we see it? How did life originate on Earth? Could UFOs really be advanced spacecraft from another world? 
And how does religion and spirituality fit into all of this? Questions like these have long confounded scientists, philosophers, and many alike. Efforts to solve these riddles have often suffered from too narrow a focus, such as those that attempt to describe telepathy or consciousness in terms of quantum theory while overlooking the vast body of other unexplained phenomena. None have led us to a single cosmological framework that can accommodate for a wealth of scientific anomalies, spiritual experiences, and paranormal events that are often observed and recorded. Now for the first time, Behind the Cosmic Veil cracks the cosmic code of creation with a bold new theory of everything that encompasses all these mysteries and many more. And the groundbreaking work author Thomas P. Fusco employs a revolutionary approach to uncover the underlying cosmic matrix connecting contemporary physics, the human psyche, paranormal phenomenon, and a long-established religious principle, then weaves it into an entirely new model of reality never before described. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are joined by the author of the book, Behind the Cosmic Veil, Mr. Thomas P. Fusco. And here he is. Thomas, welcome back to the show, my friend. Uh, how you doing, Angel? Doing great. That's a long-ass intro, but it's a, it's an awesome honor to have you back on the show, and, and thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I, too, am honored by the long intro. Yeah, no kidding. I wish I would have been able to play it last week, but I'm glad you're here this weekend. I want to give everybody an update of what you're working on and uh, you know what you're doing now since the last time you've been here. Well, you know, uh, I'm relatively new on the scene. Uh, I began uh, promoting my book and my work and my theories in uh, November of uh, 2011. Right. So it's only been in a little over a year, but uh, uh, I've been on right now just about almost 200 radio shows, or at least been invited. Uh, there's a few that are still coming up, of course. Um and, uh, of course, you remember they had me on Coast to Coast AM. Right. I remember that. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, I was uh, invited to a very unusual event called The Gathering uh, up in Pennsylvania. It was, it was held back in November. And it was very interesting. It was uh, this uh, wealthy patron uh, invited all these people from uh, various uh you know, uh, like the UFO community and, uh, uh, you know, parapsychology. Uh, there were some different, you know, doctorates there, or doctors from different fields. And, uh, you know, so I got invited there. So that was very interesting and met some interesting people and made some connections. Um, I'm also going to be, I was invited to be a speaker and presenter at the Spirits, Shadows, and Secrets International Symposium uh, to be held in uh, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, in uh, August of uh, this year. It's coming August. Oh, very nice. So, you know, for a fellow who's just been around a short period of time, so to speak, uh, you know, I'm very honored and uh, just overwhelmed with the positive responses uh, uh, you know, so it, it's been going very well. Um, now, let me ask you, you know, being that you come at it from a very scientific point of view, how do you feel about the state of the UFO community as you're, you know, now gaining 
kind of uh, consumed by the ufology community. Uh, how do you feel towards like I, you know from being uh, from the outside now looking at it from somebody who's considered almost an insider at this point? Uh, you know what are, what are your thoughts on the whole UFO community? Well, it's kind of interesting, you know. Um, what I what I've tried to do, and of course, you know, I. Uh, do a lot of uh, uh, of uh, interviews with the paranormal community, and by paranormal I mean like the ghost hunter, haunted house, right? Uh, type end of it. Um, you know, it's it's kind of unusual because uh, I I come about it from a very different perspective. What I say is, um, uh, you know. I look at these kinds of fields as far as the investigation and research like a uh, like a police detective force that's uh, investigating a crime where we have uh, different departments uh, you know and you have the uh, criminology unit and you have the forensics unit and the criminologists are always involved with who did it who done it why who the perpetrator was and uh, that's very, that seems to be the predominant uh, perspective of most people that are in these different genres. Uh, and so I'm on the forensic side. I try to talk about the actual physics of what could be taking place. So in the paranormal community, uh, I'm dealing with the criminology end of it where a lot of people... Right focus on who done it, which, you know, disembodied spirit, uh, departed person. Um, in the UFO community, we're dealing with aliens and government conspiracies, you know, with or without the aliens, uh, with or without the Illuminati, or whatever other type of a uh, organization that's going on. But it's very different because everything... Really, almost everything involves a conspiracy, right? Uh, behind you, every- you, you, you would have to admit though that's one of the things that really makes it uh, almost very similar though that everything's a conspiracy and uh, nothing can really be documented a hundred percent factual within either the paranormal or the ufology community. Well, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that in the paranormal community, there is no. Uh, there is no recognition or even consideration of some sort of a authority, be whatever that is, that's firing to cover up the existence of it. Right. Whereas in the UFO community, that's an integral part, that there's always some sort of a conspiracy or an authority that's trying to cover up, hide, uh, you know, these kinds of things. So it's an extremely different mentality. And uh, they both have their interesting uh, uh, facets. Uh, well, what I try to do, uh, I say my value to all these communities, is to not get involved with the oversaturated criminology end of it. I want to talk to people about the forensics. So if there are aliens, I want to talk about how they might be able to come here and how they might be able to do the things that are attributed to them, uh, rather than getting directly involved with talking about the aliens, who they are, who they might be, what their motives are, and all that type of thing. Now, let's look at the science behind actually traveling 
between stars. Do you, do you honestly believe that there is a way beyond the speed of light uh, where beings can come from one star system to another star system, say, Zedi Reticuli to planet Earth? Is there uh, a different form, do you believe, that they use really other than the speed of light travel? I mean, it, bending space and time, I know it's been, of course, talked about within the science community for a long time, wormholes and, and things of like that, but they're still kind of theoretical. Uh, do you really believe that that's actually something that one day we might be able to achieve because they're already doing it? Yes, I do, uh, but not necessarily that they're already doing it. Uh, I don't want to go that quite that quite that far in uh, in that direction, but my view of what that is and what and how it could be achieved is very different than the mainstream. Right. Um, and what mainstream tries to wrestle with is how to accomplish traveling such great distances you know, from a physical or material viewpoint, from a dimensional viewpoint, considering what the challenges are within a four-dimensional physical realm of space-time. My model allows for, you know, something to literally exit space-time, to go outside of physical space where we're not considering things like wormholes or warp drives or things like that, but to completely exit space-time where these physical dimensional differences, these vast distances, is not a factor, you know. Uh, and then um, uh, one would be able to materialize back into a different location in space-time and traverse great distances almost instantaneously question would arise uh, when we say travel outside of space and time um i mean we're talking about how i mean this is something that's going to be really hard for anybody listening to wrap their minds around myself included by the way i Uh, know how how exactly and where would we travel to i mean are we talking traveling between parallel universes like that you know the outside the bubbles Uh, i mean you know how what exactly put it in in layman's terms for the audience and for myself what exactly you mean be you know by traveling outside of space and time because that's that's a tough one for most people thomas to to wrap their minds around it really is right right and the reason being is because most people that get into this theoretical kind of work well almost everybody uh is talking about the nature of reality and dealing with the nature of physical reality. What my work does is actually deals with the source of reality. It's something very different. And so in my work, I have constructed a model of what you might call a extra-physical or super-physical overlay that's on top of physical reality. Um, Let's put it in in another way, look at it from a different perspective. The predominant philosophy in physics today, and for some time, is that the word reality, the term reality, and the term the physical universe is one and the same. You know, all of the physical universe is reality, and reality is all of the physical universe. There's nothing else. It's, you know, they like to call it physicalism. I call it materialism that everything is physical and material. According to my model of reality, the physical universe only comprises a portion of it. 
there is an extra physical or super physical aspect of reality that joins with the physical universe to create what is reality. Religious people might call the spiritual realm. Um, so, and in my work, I call it, uh, I actually call it the patriverse, which, uh, you know, is based on the uh, Latin pater, meaning father. It's the parent of the physical universe. What separates these two realms is the speed of light. Um, the speed of light is where the physical universe begins and ends. Now, at the speed of light and below, we're dealing with a universe that is completely suspended in and actually constructed from Einstein's continuous spatial field. In other words, Einstein, everything was made out of the geometry of space. And space and all the physical content within it is defined by four independent variables, height, width, depth, and time. So we have three spatial and one temporal dimension, uh, four-dimensional space-time. That's where the term comes from. Our challenges in trying to understand how we could traverse great distances while overcoming the time that would be necessary from the maximum speed that you could travel in the physical uh, is all constrained by working within those dimensional uh, uh, variables. However, if there is an extension of reality above space and time, those dimensions would collapse effectively in what we would call a singularity. In other words, right. there would be a dimension of time like past, present, and future. There wouldn't be a then and there wouldn't be a when. There would only be a now, which is the best way that we can kind of understand it in the way that our brains normally work. If you could think of a perpetual now, um, and everything that ever happened and ever will happen is happening right now. Now it reminds me a little bit of spaceballs, but let me let me interrupt you there for a second, uh, Thomas. Okay. Uh, question. We, you know, and this has kind of always been my theory when it comes to time, space, and you know, you know, time itself. Uh, I know that Einstein, you know, worked on. I know you've worked on. I know there's a lot of scientists that are that are out there that are working on the theories of time. What if we are in a perpetual, you know, state that time really doesn't exist? Time could, you know, could easily have been something that just men made up. Well, I've heard this before. It is a philosophical viewpoint, not right. a scientific viewpoint. No, no, and I know I've actually, yes. <laughs> I've actually changed a couple people's minds who thought of it that way when they thought about the way that I explained it. Let's take a look at dimensions for, okay. for a moment. Uh, if we were to reduce the idea of dimensions into its most elementary um, way of looking at it, way of defining it, uh, dimensions are expressions of differences. And that's very important. When you talk about, let's say, a linear distance of three feet, for example, what you were talking about is the difference between the physical coordinate at the one end of the yardstick and the physical coordinate at the other end of the yardstick. 
the difference between those two coordinates is three feet. We don't really have a starting point or a finish point where we say start at zero and it's three feet from there because Einstein told us that everything is relativistic, that we really don't have a definitive start or end point. So we have to talk about differences between two locations. Uh, in um, time, now let's talk about time. I define time as the difference between two events. Right. There's a lot of different uh, ways of, of defining time, but that's my definition. I think it's, it's the most clear. But here's what we run into. <laughs> Excuse me. The universe has existed, to the best of our knowledge, around 14 billion years before man came into the existence. The universe has come into being through processes you know, all kinds of processes, chemical, electromagnetic, gravitational. But in order for a progress to occur or a process to occur, there has to be a difference of events between event one, event two, event three, event four. Even if you're considering, you know, uh, mixing uh, sodium metal and chlorine gas, to create sodium chloride, which is common salt. There's a process. Each one of those events has to need a dimension of time between them in order to take place. Without time, all the processes happen at the same moment, and the universe collapses into a singularity because there's no differences in events from one to the next to the next. So the idea that time is an illusion is purely philosophical. Realistically speaking, that point of view doesn't it doesn't hold water, doesn't make any sense. Right. If you wanna if you're looking at it as trying to explain why events take certain time for it to happen, processes and and that's one way to explain what time is. But in the essence, you know, we still there's really is there a way to measure it other than just that way? Well, we measure time all the time. That's an oxymoron, by the way. Yeah, well, kind of, sort of. You know, uh, we, you know, we measure time continually, which is actually a very uh, in-depth statement, far beyond what it looks like in the surface. But, uh, um, you know, time is a dimension, and it's right. a necessary dimension for the existence of the physical universe. And so, therefore, when these people say that time is an illusion or it's man-made, they're telling me that the universe could never have existed before the appearance of man. So it really, even on a philosophical basis, it's almost, um, you know, and I don't want to insult anybody by saying this, it's irrational. It's a nonsensical, irrational philosophy. Well, Thomas, here's a question then. Before the Big Bang, you know, that's when we conceive as the start of time as we know it. Right. What was the time before the Big Bang? Was there time then? Well, see, we lack the ability to even frame the question correctly. Right. <laughs> time you before time, I guess, before. would be the best word. You used the word before, right? Right. That's a temporal designation. Right. How can you define a state 
where time does not exist with a temporal designation. Exactly. We can't even frame the, it, it, the you know, Augustine, uh, the, uh, you know, the Christian scholar Augustine, 1,700 years ago, uh, commented on this. Uh, he actually formulated a, uh, a very early theory of relativity and time dilation 1,700, 1,600 years before Einstein. Uh, and he said when people asked the question, what was God doing before he created the heavens and earth, he says it's a completely irrelevant and nonsensical question because you can't even frame it. You're, all the, the, this, the, the question is filled with spatial and temporal and material references, none of which, quote-unquote, existed before the beginning. Therefore, the only two words in the sentence that make any sense are God and He. They're the only Eternals. Everything or she. We could, be politically, we could be politically correct. It could have been a she. Maybe God is a woman. Would explain a lot, though, wouldn't it? God uh, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> but listen, and, and follow along here with me. Now, we were talking about time. You're trying to, you know, you were explaining how to measure time. Now, and how processes is one way to, to measure time. And I completely accept that as a reasonable argument uh but you know if we measure the big bang as the beginning of time certainly uh thomas you got to agree that there there are certain processes that were going on before the big bang that led to the point of the explosion of the big bang so you know we have to measure that somehow i mean there there has to be some sort of of a reason there's always a reason behind everything nothing just happens so that that's where you go into the god aspect and where you're talking about now uh, that's if you want to look at it in a religious way. Now, science can only look back so far out. And one thing that, I know, that I've noticed in the last few years, scientists talking more and more about is that the universe is expanding and we are getting further and further and further away from the inception of time, which was yeah. that big bang. Uh, that is an accurate statement. Is that not correct? Absolutely. Uh, based on all of the observational material or the information that we have uh, uh, you know, at our disposal, um, you know, science has a very uh, uh, distinct definition for this state, uh, you know, uh, of the Big Bang, prior to the Big Bang. Again, we're forced to use these temporal terms because this is right. the way that we, our brains are, themselves are physical and work on physical electromagnetic impulses that require both space and time to function. Right. So it's going to result in a spatial and temporal expression of itself. Uh, but excusing ourselves for that limitation to speak about before the Big Bang, they describe the start of it as a singularity that was infinitely dense and infinitely small. Now, any time in science and physics that we use the term infinite, infinity, we are talking about something that is not physical. It is not dimensional. It is not measurable. In fact, when they're working on physical theories and equations from a mathematical standpoint, and any type of a formula comes up with a value of infinity, they know that they've made a mistake. They've either, they've either left something out or they've made a mistake in the calculation itself because nothing physical, nothing dimensional, has an infinite value. So there's a dimension, you know, there's a definition, a scientific dimension uh, or, or a definition for the singularity from which the Big Bang grew, 
but it basically is an immeasurable value. Now, you know, with the technology we have today, Thomas, I mean, with the telescope technology we have, how far really can we look back? I mean, we can't really see, because, you know, the light we do see reflecting back are from millions of years ago from the stars. Uh, you know, but how, how far back have we been able to measure, you know? Well, as of our current calculations and what we're able to see, uh, you know, we can see out in the farthest distance 14 billion light years. 14 billion, okay. Yeah. So we estimate so far of the known universe that we can see, we're estimating it to be 14 billion years old because we can see out structures that are 14 billion light years away. Now, that site is always expanding. Remember, up until the 50s, 1950s, all of the scientific community believed that the Milky Way galaxy was the universe. Right. We thought that other galactic-type objects that we saw in the sky were simply clusters of stars within that single galaxy. Right. Now we understand, and that's what, how many 60-some years? In only 60-some years of human history, we've expanded that from one galaxy to billions of galaxies. <laughs> no, and, and, and not kidding, you know, and billions of galaxies with trillions of stars in them, with trillions of planets in them. And it's it, it really, it's a, a number that is almost inconceivable for most people to, to think of and understand the amount of possibilities of life there is out there uh and you know this has been a theory of my thomas that i wanted i want to run by you and see what you think of this um going back to the big bang mm -hmm. since you know we're talking about a singularity that was a spark for the big bang we don't know exactly what happened before that point uh we just kind of uh, have theories at this point i know there's m the m theory or membrane theory uh some you know talk about that as uh -huh. a possibility you know, I, you know, there's there's a lot of different theories out there that a lot of folks have kicked around. But my personal theory could be that maybe we are this side of a black hole, and the Big Bang was just an opening in a, a tear within space and time that connected to another universe that had a black hole, and we were just what was being sucked into that black hole, and we are the result of that massive black hole somewhere, and that was our Big Bang. That I think is a little bit more conceivable than everything coming out of you know nothingness. That almost is that that whole concept to me is a little bit hard to wrap my mind around. And still, but it, what do you think of that theory? Of we all came out of another black hole? Well, I would say that it's we've heard over the last handful of years a lot of mention in the political arena of kicking the can down the road. Hmm. And what you're talking about is what I would call kicking the can down the road. Because rather than trying to solve the extremely difficult problem of where our universe came from and how it originated, we simply blame it. We kick the can down the road to another universe, and we blame it on them. And so that's it. That's all we need to think about. But if you keep following that line of reasoning on and on, where did that universe come from, and where did that one come from, and so on and so forth. So we would have to argue one of two things. Either all of reality is infinite, which again would mean that it would not be physical, and we know it is physical, or there was some beginning somewhere to some universe. And that beginning to solve that equation 
is going to be no more easy or difficult than to solve the same equation whether we have a single universe or a bunch of universes. The other problem with it is this, Angel, is we have no observations that lead us to believe that there is any other universe other than this one. Hmm, that's um, true. You know, again, this idea of the multiverse is strictly a philosophical speculation. You'll hear, like, Dr. Kiku, that fella, and, and some other people talk <laughs> about it because it's sensational. It makes big news. It, it sells cornflakes. It's job security for those guys. But when it comes to the actual science of it, the multiverse is simply another philosophical idea that really has virtually no foundation in observable phenomena. So you you're definitely would be one that would completely be against any idea of, of parallel universes. Uh, just to, to make that clear, as far as you're concerned, there is no such thing as parallel universes. Yeah, I mean, it, literally, a parallel universe would be something that's identical to our own. Right. Like what evidence do we have of that kind of redundancy? In other words, if we had a quote-unquote parallel universe, and I'm using this in the... I'm not just talking about other universes, but in this case, a parallel universe. The only way that it could truly be parallel to ours, if it occupied an identical or, or an immediate adjacent space, and everything that occurred in it, it was exactly the same as what occurred in ours. So even if a parallel universe happened to bleed over to ours, because it's identical to ours, it would be completely indistinguishable. We would see what was in our universe, because the identical thing is in a parallel universe. And so, again, we have no observable phenomena that would lead us to believe there's such a thing as a parallel universe. But it doesn't make for some great science fiction movies, doesn't it? Oh, it sells. <laughs> oh, my. It's what, I, it's what I say. And you know I've done a lot of work with uh, explaining physically paranormal phenomena. Mm. And one of the things I tell the, uh, the, the, the shows to concentrate on that I said, this is one of my dilemmas, you know, uh, as, as trying to be, you know, financially viable in this market. Um, I have the world's first scientific definition of the structure of a spirit orb, what they call a luminous orb. And okay. to make a long story short, it is an expansion of space-time jacketed in an electromagnetic field generated by the effect between itself and the surrounding physical material, like atmosphere, and at times emitting photons. That's a luminous orb. Even the paranormal investigators are falling asleep. But if I could somehow convince you that it's your dead Aunt Mary, I will have people wrapped around the block with dollar <laughs> bills clenched in their fists, dying to stuff them in my pocket. And that's the problem. Like you said, makes for great science fiction. Them are the guys that are making money. Guys like me that are trying to do real science, I'm still fixing computers. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. And, you know, the crazy thing is that everything that they ever talk about is really all theory, and it just stays there. It never has – there's never – there hasn't been a, a major science breakthrough with any of major theories like those in, since Einstein, since this theory of relativity. That's really I would been like, say, you know – 
to a point to where we have a paradigm-changing discovery yeah. that actually converts our view of, of the nature of reality. Angel, you're absolutely right. Einstein was the one that blew the lid off of everything. Yeah. You know, he was the one who changed the way the universe was understood. And, you know, we build upon it a lot. We found a lot of different uh, uh, aspects of reality that we didn't know before. But you're right. A fundamental view of the universe is still Einstein's. And uh, it's lived a century. It survived. Uh, in fact, I just read an article that was published that they said, you know, from, from recent research, they found that the quantum physicists, newer model of space where they said it had a foam-like structure was wrong. The early view of Einstein that space is a smooth field, a continuous analog field, he was the one that was right after all. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Einstein is the one who is, he's still the guy on the top of the hill to beat, and nobody has a clue how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, no, no kidding, man. It's between him and uh, Nikola Tesla, I think, the, the two greatest minds uh, the world's ever had uh, when it comes to, like, pure science. Uh, and probably the most important scientist. Would you say that they're probably the most important scientists uh, the world's ever seen? Tesla. Well, Einstein certainly was the greatest theorist. Right. People, you know, I've talked to people back and forth. They say, well, gee, what do you know? You never conducted any experiments or did any firsthand investigations. And I tell them, neither did Einstein. Right. You know, out of, out of college or university, Einstein never touched a test tube. Right. Everything he did was on paper and in his head. But Tesla was an engineer. Yep. And one of the brilliancies of Tesla was he was one of these rare individuals that had the ability to look at something and see it exactly for what it was, without preconceptions. Um, give you an example. Back in the early days of electricity, everybody, Edison and all these different engineers, you know, even James Clerk Maxwell, they were all figuring how to more efficiently push electrons through a conductor like a wire. Because they right. knew they had to pass electrons, let's say, through a device. Let's say if we're talking about a light bulb. They had to push electrons through that filament in order to make that filament heat up and the device to do work. Well, Tesla just looked at it and he said, well, you know, you have to push an electron to it through it. But who says it has to continuously be different electrons? Why not take an electron and pass it back and forth through the filament? make an alternating current. And that was a guy that just saw what was in front of him, and mm. nobody else could actually see what was in front of their face. And that was the genius of Tesla. Really, he was a real problem solver more than anything else, Tesla. Can you imagine, Thomas, how different the world would be if Tesla hadn't made that, that, that discovery? I think it how was different a, things would be now? I think it was a discovery that would ultimately have been uh, uh, come upon where necessity would have been a uh, the mother of invention, right. where the limits of um, the limits of direct current in the face of increasing uh, uh, manufacturing and application of electrical devices 
would have eventually forced an alternating current to be developed. The thing is that Tesla developed it and envisioned it before that reality came into right. being. Yeah, who knows uh, how long it would have taken. It might have taken 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 more years before somebody would have put it together. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's just like the telephone service. Before they had a, a, a switching system, you know, you saw these old telephone poles that had 100 lines strung on them. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, so necessity was the mother of invention. They got to a point where somebody had to come up with it, and, and so they did. Uh, you know, the genius of Tesla is that he envisioned all this. Thomas, you know, getting back to the original question here that I had for you early on uh, about the UFO community. Now that you've gone and made the rounds, and you know, going back to that question, uh, you know, being that you do come at, at this from a scientific stand view, uh, what what are your observations or your thoughts of the entire ufology community and the people that are in the forefront? Some of the folks that are promoting certain you know th- things like the Mary Magdalene. And, uh, you know, the Bizarro and those kind of folks that are out there promoting certain agendas and certain things that really can't be proven. What are your thoughts as a scientist, behind, you know, of, of what you've seen so far? You're going to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. But that's always my agenda here. Um, <laughs> you know, first of all, we have to look at the challenge of that community, which is different than the paranormal or the parapsychological fields of study, where they can study an event in real time. Uh, ufology is normally stuck with the problem of re- researching an event after the fact. Um, so there's a big difference with that. Everybody's got to go retroactively to try to figure out what happened instead of like in a paranormal investigation where they're trying to figure out what is happening. Right. Uh, so that's a big difference. But I think that, um, um, gosh, Angel, how would I say it? Um, you know, any time that you're dealing with beliefs and conspiracies, and I'm going to preface this by saying anywhere you have governing authorities, you are going to have conspiracies. Hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be. Right. I've got a couple of, I surprised a couple of hosts that are in the ufology when they ask me about government disclosure. You know, and that's a big thing with some of some of them is to get the government to disclose it. Yeah. And I tell them this. I said, this is from my point of view. First of all, I believe in what our founding fathers did with the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And in the preamble of the Constitution, it says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Okay, so here we got full disclosure. Obama goes up on the, you know, the, the stage behind the presidential podium and says, Look, <laughs> we got aliens. We got them good. <laughs> and your neighbor down the street, that poor son of a bitch, is being abducted every night. And they're planting all kinds of stuff in him. And there ain't a flipping thing that we can do about it. And next week, it could be you. Now, how does that ensure domestic tranquility? 
You know, if the President really of the United States announced that within 48 hours, the monetary system of the world would collapse. Oh, definitely. Just imagine the War of the Worlds from the 30s, you know, that radio, the famous radio broadcast that sent everybody panicking into the streets. You know, I don't think it will be that bad, but you're absolutely right. The monetary system would collapse. People will be freaking out. Uh, that's, you know, and Steve Bassett, who's a good friend of the show, we've had him on recently here uh, just a month ago or a, couple, a few weeks ago, and a good friend of the show, and he's always fighting this fight for disclosure. And I keep, you know, having this argument with him that I really don't think disclosure how he wants it is ever going to happen because of that particular reason right there, Thomas, because it would cause uh, panic and tranquility I mean, would be completely gone. The first thing that, that a lot of people would do is they would go seize every piece of wealth that they have. Right. The first thing they're going to do is convert all their stocks and bonds into cash. Right. Dow Jones will go to zero. Everything will be worthless. Then people will really panic. You know, and then you could just play it from there. And I'm just talking about the financial aspect of society, not all the other aspects of it. People will be shooting each other for that last gallon of gas down the station. Oh, my. Um, you know, and another aspect of it is this. Okay, we want the government to tell us that we have, they have alien spacecraft in Area 51. And they want, we want, you know, the government to tell us all about that. Right. All right, let's assume for a minute that we do have that. And let's assume further that we have reversed-engineered it. And we actually have capabilities and craft and weaponry which would be comparable to the kind of behavior and characteristics that we see UFOs have. The only, the first time I want that be public, to be publicized is when whatever that weapon is, is six inches from blowing up my enemy's butt. <laughs> That's when I want us to know about it. Other than that, I don't want anybody to know. You know, if we really get into trouble or a serious challenge to our freedom, I want them to throw out, open those hangers and pull out all kinds of alien whoop-ass that no one ever even heard of or thought of before. I mean, you know, when news reached Europe of the battle, of our Civil War battle between the Monitor and the Merrimack, everybody pooped. They said, oh my goodness, all the navies in the world are obsolete. When we went over and, and, and liberated Kuwait, and we opened up our arsenals for the first time, and they saw these laser-guided missiles that they could fire from a hundred miles away and, 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 and hit a fly speck on somebody's wall. The whole world shuddered. So, oh my God, what is this? You know, we had most of that under lock and key. Yep. So if we got alien whoop ass, that's when I want them to disclose it. I want them to disclose it on our enemies' butts. You gotta, you gotta realize too, and a lot of folks don't realize this that you know wars in the future are not going to be fought with human beings out on the uh, battlefield. That's that kind of war is going to eventually uh, completely be obsolete. It's going to be tanks, machines, laser-guided missiles. These, these are the future weapons, and the, the United States are much more advanced than they tell us. Uh, now, I completely agree with you that, that a lot of the stuff that has to be kept under wraps is uh, good. They keep it under wraps because th this is going to help us 
in the end, you know, there is a major, you know, war or anything like that. Also, I think a lot of it is kept, if there is alien technology, and Thomas is my personal opinion, I think a lot of the stuff that might be recovered might be back-engineered, uh, stuff that they might be working on for the last hundred years, since you know, maybe 60, sure. 70 years, whatever the t- amount of time it is, they have to work on stuff before they get to know what it is, especially in alien technology. So, of course, it's going to become a black-budget project, and I don't want to talk about it. They're going to have scientists working on it in hiding somewhere because you're not going to know what an alien ship does until you have scientists, you know, cracking their skulls on it for however it takes to be able to learn how to use this stuff. So that, that makes perfect sense that they will keep that under wraps. You know, the whole conspiracy of, you know, the cover-up within the, the ufology community, to me, really isn't much of a conspiracy because it really makes sense why they would keep it under wraps. It really does. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Now, the other aspect of the UFO-alien conspiracy uh, theory-type community um, and, you know, I want to say this in the best way that I can and in the most understanding way that I can so that anybody who's listening um, understands where I'm coming from and doesn't misconstrue what I'm saying or blow it out of proportion. Um, there is a mental illness that's called paranoid schizophrenia. Yes. And part of that is the belief that everything is a conspiracy. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't very serious researchers in the UFO communities that are working on very real conspiracies. Because, as I said up front, every authorized or every, you know, authoritative body has conspiracies. They all do. We know that from history. They have to. It's part of governing. So conspiracies do exist. And some of the researchers in that community are working on very real leads to very real conspiracies. Unfortunately, because of that genre and because of that paradigm, the community attracts certain elements Mm -hmm. to it that are not working on real conspiracies, that the conspiracies they see are in their minds. Well, actually, there's more than just just that. There's also the people that come into the ufology community with one agenda and one agenda only, and that's creating something to make money out of. And yeah. they'll create elaborate stories. And listen, I'm I'm going to put myself out there again because I've said it many times on the show, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard who are listening in and listen a lot have heard me say it. I'm not a big believer in a lot of the folks who come out with these fantastic stories that they had a dream, and in their dream they were on Mars, or you know these you know whenever somebody says starts off with I had a dream, and in my dream this happened to me. That's when I lose connection with that person as a believer and believing that person. Now, there are certain cases within the ufology community that are very believable. Uh, Travis Walton comes to mind. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill come to yeah. mind. These are completely, you know, solid cases within ufology. Even Roswell is very solid in the nature of, you know, what happened. We know yeah. something crashed. We know there was an event. The government reported something. So there's definitely concrete evidence there. But oh, yeah. it's all the it's all the other people that come forward that really kind of taint 
the waters of ufology. And, and Thomas, you know, my personal opinion, and, and you know, going forward with this show in particular, and, and the stuff we talk about here, I said it last year before the the year ended that I wanted to to get out a little bit more of the not so much debunking, but just putting people out there that uh, completely have no business in what they're doing. And uh, you know, that's something that I've always thought of would be beneficial for the ufology community and getting away from the hoaxers getting away from the people that are just in it for a buck i'm not talking about the researchers like yourself you're a researcher you know you, you wrote yeah. a book it's science based that i have no problems with i'm talking about the certain people that go out there just to get on the lecture tours to sell a book that they fabricated a cult oh, yeah. movement around you know what i mean like the billy myers of the, of the world michael yeah, Horns because of that's the world. another this is another faction that right. infects for Correct. lack of better word, that infects the UFO community, you know, and, and I'll give you two extremes. I mean, you've interviewed Richard Dolan. Richard Dolan is a very straight shooter, mm-hmm. you know. He's not, I don't know what word to use, but he's pursuing it very seriously and very sensibly right. and has a lot of very logical, re- rational things to say. Uh, on the other end of the stick, on the other end of the uh, um of, of this, uh, a couple months ago, I heard a radio interview on another network uh, with a person who, you know, supposedly was some sort of a contactee. And when you listen, and I've talked to a contactee, I've, I've spoken personally with Chris Bledsoe, great guy, very reasonable with what he says. You know, I believe that he experienced what he says he experienced. But this fellow they were interviewing, because of my educational background, I understood he had all the signs of a severe mental illness and that the person should have, been, should have never been put on the radio. He should have been referred to somebody for help. Right. Uh, so, and the problem that you run into is the legitimate conspiracy researchers anything that they would say against the illegitimate conspiracy researchers would reflect back on themselves because they're essentially using the same kind of language and the same kind of reasoning as the illegitimate ones are. So they're they're kind of, you know, they're stuck in in a bad place. Uh, coupled with the fact that they can only examine this stuff after it occurs. Uh, another thing that I found, which I don't know what to feel about this, um, and again, I know I'm probably hanging myself on certain interviews that I won't get booked on for saying this, <laughs> but, but this is my opinion, um, that uh, one of the things that... Uh, uh, researchers have done with abductees was to do this recessive hypnosis so that they could remember the experience. Hmm. Okay. They did that with Betty and Barney Hill. Right. They did it with a lot of people. You read about it from time to time. There's actually, you know, psychologists specialized in this. But what this got tangled up in is the practice of past life regression. Quote unquote that's reincarnation. Oh, that's interesting. So the uh, so the practice of, of past life regression has in some circles within that community 
become piggybacked onto it. And uh, so, you know, I was speaking with one uh, well-known figure in the UFO community. I won't mention his name uh, because there's no need to. But he was talking about a specific convention and who would be there. And he mentioned a name. I said, well, who's that? Well, she's a past life regressionist. Hmm. You know, and I asked him, well, what does that have to do with the UFO community? He says, well, you know, that's the metaphysical aspect of it. <laughs> you know, and that concerns me as a scientist. Um, and this is a big problem with, um, you know, with these alternate study genres, so to speak. Uh, that because of the lack of science right. and the lack of established scientists to be able to really do some comprehensive work in these fields, um, you're dealing with a lot of people that don't have a scientific background. Yep. And they're going to say things and draw conclusions that are just not scientific. Um it's like the paranormal community, say you feel a cold spot or your electrical equipment malfunctions. It's a spirit drawing energy that physically manifests. Without understanding the science that the entire energy output of the sun is not enough to manifest or materialize one ounce of matter. You wouldn't be talking about a cold spot of 20 or 30 degrees, three foot across. You would be talking about how many square miles just dropped 273 degrees negative centigrade, absolute zero, and froze solid to create a fraction of a second of a cigarette smoky wisp of material. So they come to these conclusions and it becomes part of the paradigm of the field. And it has absolutely no scientific foundation at all. And so everybody's following that. Right. You know, you know what it is? It's all smoke and mirrors. It really is. And it is uh, people that come into the ufology community or into the paranormal that have a nice game. And they know how to speak a certain way and they can fool the masses. Uh, let me stop you right there, Thomas, for a second. We have to take a commercial break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have the uh, lines open if anybody wants to call in and get on the line. With Thomas Fusco, you can please uh, call on in if you want to, 786-245-8127. We will be having open lines. Uh, again, guys, if you want to get into the chat room, xat.com forward slash PSN radio. I know we've been having issues all night with the chat room, but hopefully it's working better now. So if you guys want to get in there, please go ahead and do so. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes here on Inside the Jackal's Head with more Thomas Fusco. Keep listening. being tied down to your computer but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application the talk shows you follow now follow you 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban feller. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. In a world run by thugs and imbeciles, by robber barons in three-piece suits, where a subservient media pipes sewage into the eyes and ears of the masses 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where do you go for the truth? Is the president an alien, either Kenyan or Zeta? Did the fabulous sea monkeys ordered from comic book ads by kids in the 60s and 70s slither out of their tanks and into ears, and are they running the brains of the ruling elite today? Is David Icke right about the queen being a lizard, or is there a sea monkey brooding on his brain like a jockey atop a chunk of horse meat? Are Lemurians beneath Mount Shasta really addicted to porn and chewing tobacco, or are there spokesmen in the surface world deluded or deranged? For the answers to all of these questions and more, tune in each week for another revealing and informative episode of Unraveling the Secrets, and get that sea monkey off of your brain. By the Glass. By the Glass is a show about beverage culture. Brad Hubbard. What I'm going to do is I'm going to connect the dots on how everything works together. It's really all about how we enjoy things, how we enjoy life, and how beverages play a big part in that. I'm going to bring in people that are going to display their aspect of the culture. I'm going to bring in people that are going to show you different products. We're going to look at places where people go to consume these beverages and how they all interact. Things are built around the actual beverage itself. By the Glass. Thursdays from 6 to 7. Only on SoFlow Radio. Hey, it's Gina Martell with my fabulous co-host, Dr. Dennis Netter. Are you a sexual predator? Could you be? Find out how easy it is to be labeled one. Join us August 2nd for Love and Sex on SoFloRadio.com. Love and Sex. Better love, better sex, and better life. Hi, everybody. This is Boca Brian once again to tell you about my latest CD of religious comedy bits, Word of Boca. All my smash hits made famous throughout the world. For the, well, not exactly the world. Let's see. Parts of Okeechobee down to Narcea Paladin. Well, like I was saying, the most requested religious comedy bits ever to be heard all over your radio for too short a time. You'll get such hits as... You'll get Father O'Toole. Amen. And this all-time Boca classic. They were speaking in tongues. That made me a believer. Yes, it's Word of Boca. About 30 all-time certified aluminum religious hits by Boca Brian, who sits on the middle finger of God while singing about men of the moist cloth. That's Word of Boca. Available now at all Peaches, Records, and, uh, I mean, order yours today by clicking on the album cover on SoBlowRadio.com.
All right, everybody, we are back. Thanks for sticking around here on Inside the Jackal's Head. Once again, the lines are open if you want to call in, 786-245-8127. And the chat room, again, is on exat.com forward slash PSN radio. If you guys want to uh, listen there, you can. If not, just go to the website, www.psn-radio.com. Back with my guest, Mr. Thomas P. Fusco. Thomas, we're talking about ufology, my friend, and let's switch it up a little bit. You know, we're talking about ufology, we're talking about ufologists, we're talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Let's uh, get into the world of ghosts in the paranormal a little bit more. Uh, what's been, you know, since you've been going around, what's been like the one paranormal case or ghost case that's kind of caught your attention that, that made you say, damn, that's real? Well, you know, <clears throat> uh, certain experiences that I had early in my life, which, you know, I don't talk about openly on the radio, uh, led me to believe already that, you know, it is a real phenomenon. Um, no particular case in, in particular. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, all you have to do is have one person witness an actual apparition to know that it can occur. And if it can occur, then it has to occur in a way that is consistent with the laws and principles that govern the greater universe. Now, if the laws and principles that we know right now do not cover paranormal phenomena, then that tells me that the laws and principles that we understand the universe today by is either incomplete or it's very flawed. And so there is no one particular case that sticks out. Uh, you know, when you've heard one legitimate EVP, you've heard them all. Right, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's the same thing that goes where, well, if all alien abduction cases are lies except for one, well, that's enough to verify that aliens are real and abductions do happen. Or you need that one case. But, I mean, have you ever yourself seen a ghost or, or a poltergeist or been involved personally? And if that's what you don't want to talk about, I completely understand. But um, how would you answer that? Have you ever seen yourself a ghost? Well, I, this is funny that people laugh because I talk about paranormal uh, uh, phenomena all the time. Uh, you know, and yet I myself am not a paranormal investigator. I've never seen an apparition, never seen a ghost, never saw a levitation, never heard a disembodied voice. I've never personally experienced any of these things. Um, you know, but what I tell people, because once in a while I'll get a paranormal investigator who'll say, well, right, what right do you have to comment on this field? You don't know anything about it. You know, and I I answer them and I say, well, you know, the scientific uh, organization CERN over in Europe, you know, say that they discovered a particle last year at 125 giga electron volts of mass. Do I have to build my own large hadron to collider to prove that? Right. I you know where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah, because I tell the investigator, are you telling me that your evidence is all bogus? Or are you telling me that your evidence is legitimate, but you don't want anybody else to use it or refer to it? You know, so all I need, I don't have to have ever witnessed a meteorite myself to know that rocks do indeed fall out of the sky. Now, speaking scientifically, where do you think, if there is uh, such a thing as ghosts, where do you think they come from? 
Well, I mean, did they, really, heaven is you know were they stuck between heaven and here? Are they stuck in limbo? Like, what, well, what are your thoughts? Limbo. That's an interesting concept. Isn't I guess it? that's the waiting room, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Limbo to me has always been like that scene in uh, in um, Beetlejuice, where Beetlejuice oh, yeah. is just is waiting just there with a the guy with a little head. That's that's what's been my my definition of what limbo is. We just well, we're on that I waiting room. Do, yeah, <laughs> what I try to do, Angel, is try to reduce it again to scientific terms. So heaven is not a term I like to use. If you want to talk to me about my faith, you know, my religious faith, I might use a term like that. But from a scientific viewpoint, I discovered, and this is at the heart of my theoretical work, is that the fundamental paradigm of the universe is materialized information. You know, this is an aspect of physics which is well ex- uh, uh, accepted today. Right. In fact, when I was in school, I was taught the laws of conservation that say matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed, which we're mostly all familiar with that. Uh, But modern physics has an extension of that called quantum unitarity that says the information from which matter and energy is assembled itself can neither be created nor destroyed. So when we are looking at an apparition, what we're looking at is materializing information. And that's my definition for the universe. Sometimes college students say that's going to be a gag question on an exam. <laughs> you know, uh, define the universe. Give three examples. Uh, but my, I do have a definition for the universe. I say the universe is an expression of materialized and materializing information. That the same thing that makes an apparition materialize out of thin air or makes a, a disembodied voice materialize out of thin air, is the same mechanism that makes everything in the universe materialize out of nothing. The only difference is that most structures that we see in the universe are highly stable. And the process, how would I say it? If you saw a race car, a drag racer, in the last two seconds of its race, just from that evidence alone, where it's fully accelerated and fully in motion, you would never envision what it took to get it up to the starting line and to get it started. But in paranormal phenomena, we have the opportunity to see the materialization of reality in the form of information in real time. So when we're talking about an apparition, one of the things that we have to consider is we're seeing information materialized. Where is it coming from? And so that's the first fundamental way to begin to understand what an apparition actually is. It is a collection of information that is not originating from the local space where it is witnessed. Hmm. It is entering into that local space from somewhere else. Right. That's what makes it paranormal. And again, this is, the, this is the difference in looking at these things from a scientific perspective. Um, you know, like you say, well, I saw an apparition. Well, no, you didn't. You saw information that was presenting a surface 
that reflected light into your eyes. And the hmm. pattern of light that your eyes detected took the form of this, this figure. You start looking at it scientifically. So when we look at this kind of, a, of an, uh, an event like an apparition, we're looking at information that is materializing in our local space. Right. But it's not originating there. Take it, it's easier to envision this with a disembodied voice. Now, when people hear a paranormal voice, the effect is normal. In other words, what's happening is that something is vibrating the air column, the medium. Right. And it is propagating a compression wave that's physical that reaches our ears or a recording device, you know, and our nervous system picks up that signal and translates it into sound. It isn't sound when it's, you know, uh, until we hear it, so to speak, uh, as, as a voice. Now, a normal voice and a, dis, and, a, and a paranormal voice, the only difference is, is that a set of vocal cords is not locally connected to the vibrating air column in a paranormal voice. Right. It's what we call a non-local effect. Or right. what one fellow uh, put it, he said it's like getting a black eye in Miami from a punch that was thrown in Cleveland. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Mm-hmm. So when we hear that disembodied voice, the source of it is coming from outside of our local space into our local space. So in it's, other words, it's like space and time is, is recording every event, of every single action that we make, and we're seeing a loop or you know, kind of like a glitch within space and time, and that's what people are picking up as uh, spirits and not necessarily the souls of actual living beings that are you know somewhere else. I'm actually not saying that at all, but it's oh, interesting okay. to say that, Angel, because you've just mentioned another common misperception. Okay. And that is to try to interpret the phenomenon in a strictly materialistic way. I do that a lot, by the way. Well, it's okay. That's I'm a material first... girl, and I live in a material world. Boy. Well, this is the predominant paradigm of modern <laughs> physics, and it's the reason why... Modern physics does not have a paradigm that explains the paranormal. Right. Um, when we actually think about, because that's some kind of an ambiguous kind of a, well, gee, it must be recorded somewhere on the fabric of time. It's, it, it's almost that's what it's almost what it sounds like. It's recorded like in the fabric of time and space. It, you know, it, it leads me to think that because I recently saw a video, Thomas, not to cut off what we're talking about, but or to deviate too much from it, but it was a video that dealt with water and the molecule that water is and how water has recording properties that records information. Uh, and, it, you know, if water is essential for life and that's, you know, has a property that can record information, what if everything, the universe, everything records information one way or another? So why wouldn't that be the case, that maybe behind everything there is some sort of recording of everything that just happens throughout everything in space and time. Well, here's what the problem is. And, you know, this is another one of those multiverse kind of uh, philosophical speculations. Right. That when you start digging into it and looking at it seriously, it doesn't hold water. <laughs> <laughs> Point intended, yes. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry, I had to say that. Uh, but, uh, you know, first of all, we have to look at the effect. 
and the effect is the vibration of an air column coming from a specific location in that room. You know, you can look at it like an emergence point. It's coming mm. from a specific geographic point within that room. Now, we're talking about a compression wave that is strong enough to affect the ear. And it's projected in the exact sequence. Now, follow what I'm saying. If we're talking about a sentence, we're talking about information that create that is volume, pitch, tone, articulation of a very specific pattern, of a very specific force necessary to vibrate the air column and to carry all of that information, every little piece of it, at a sufficient level, volume, to reach our ears and hear something. Now, what physical structure is present in the room that has the capability, A, of recording that in that exact order and all that information and holding that information intact like a magnetic tape does? Hmm. and then playing it back and projecting it at that specific point where the sound's originating and playing it back. Tell me what would be present in a haunted house or even in the fabric of space and time that would be capable of that mechanism. Hmm, that's a good question. I, w I would say maybe is some kind of magnetism within the Earth, somewhere deep in the magma. Of the planet, I don't know. Okay, just I'm, I'm straight. How does it vibrate the air column in a room in a haunted house room? I'm stretching it here, man. That's all I'm doing. But you know, if, 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 if you're absolutely right, you know, we, when we record on tape, you know, it is magnetic tape. Magnetism, you know, all jokes aside, could somehow be involved, couldn't it? And more so, a recording tape is specifically engineered to do exactly what I'm talking about. Right terms of information, you still need the electronic device to convert that information into an analog wave that right. can carry all of it, and then an amplifier. And then you need a speaker to focus it in a given direction and project it. There's nothing in the natural environment that can do that. It's the physics... It's just like the whole sun not being able to produce one ounce of matter. The physics just isn't there. Right. Right. So, but the problem is now, okay, the pet theory is destroyed. It's debunked. Now what? And so people are left in a vacuum. Oh, the, what do I think now? What do I do now? And I don't want to, I don't mean it to sound like it's dumb. I don't mean it that way. What I'm trying to say is that that, that kind of an intellectual and mental vacuum is so disturbing in the face of such a pronounced um, uh, phenomenon, experience, that people will cling to the conventional explanation, even if it's debunked and make no sense at all, because to let go of it leaves you empty-handed, and that's even more frightening. So you're saying my theory is dumb. I agree. I understand. No, no, I it's didn't okay. say that. I mean that <laughs> debunking it so that you let go of it leaves us dumb. I'm not saying the theory is dumb. 
It basically is like kind of taking your clothes off and you're standing in the middle of the room naked. You know, you'll grab anything to cover yourself with. We all will. You know, so consequently, people cling to these old ideas that have no scientific relevance. Right. All theory again. All theory. Right. However, if we had a superphysical overlay on top of physical reality that had the ability to store this information and deliver, deliver it back into local space to insert it into local space-time, that would give us a source of information. Now, think about the Big Bang again. We were talking about this earlier, I think. Right. All right? The singularity that was infinitely dense and infinitely small, so it wasn't physical, and yet it contained within it all the information from which the ultimate universe was to be assembled. And yet it was outside of the physical. It was not dimensional. Well, why couldn't the information that makes up a disembodied voice or an apparition also be stored in such a superphysical location? That way we bypassed the need to explain how air could make a recording and play it back 100 years later. That's crazy, hmm. you know. But now we need a mechanism. That's the second thing. These are the two great mysteries in the universe. What is the source of the information from which it is structured and materialized? And what is the process by which it's materialized? And these are the two elements that my theory explains. And I was talking earlier about an expansion of space-time. Mm -hmm. So imagine, let's think about this. Let's think about a rubber membrane stretched okay. across a frame. Let's say like a table. But instead of the top being solid, it's this, this very tight rubber membrane. You know, and let's say, for example, that our side of it, we're looking at the table. That's the physical universe. That's what we could see. And let's say further that the other side that we can't see is a super physical overlay. It's extra dimensional. Now, let's further say that the barrier where we can't see past a rubber membrane is the speed of light. Because that is the uppermost barrier of the physical universe. And let's say further that the substance from which that barrier is made from is space. Is Einstein's continual spatial field, which still only there's a handful of people on Earth, I think, that fully understand the implications of Einstein's work. <laughs> I I barely understand the full implications of Einstein's work, and let me tell you, I've been a follower of uh, Einstein since I was a, a small child. I've always uh, been a big fan of Einstein, his work, you know, theory of relativity, and science in general. But even I have a hard time with Einstein's theory of everything or relativity. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. I hear you, you know, and and I still don't fully understand it. But there are certain aspects of it that I mm -hmm. believe that. I've got a very firm grasp on it. And what, uh, what, the, uh, what we're looking at with this membrane, now uh, picture this further. Uh, beneath the table is this super physical realm. Mm -hmm. And let's say that this rubber membrane is so thin 
that it would reveal every detail of any object that was pushed into it. So, for example, if you pushed your finger into it, this membrane would be so fine that you could actually see the lines of your fingerprint through it. You follow me so far? Following you so far. All right. Now, let's assume that that fingerprint is the information. Okay. Let's assume further that the finger pushing into the membrane is a mechanism that's occurring above space-time that can actually warp physical space-time. So here we have a warping of space where something actually protrudes. Somebody's pushing their finger up from underneath, and we see something materialize. And we see the information reflected in that bend of space of our fingerprint pattern. That's a materialization of that information. And to me, that's what's happening in paranormal phenomena. Now, let's take it a step further. If what I'm saying is correct, and if a collection of information is a vocalization, as we were talking about earlier, instead of a fingerprint, rather than the bubble of space-time taking on the shape of a fingerprint, it would begin to oscillate and vibrate according to the materializing patterns of that vocalization. And what that would do is it would make the surface of that expanded bubble vibrate and give off a compression wave that would vibrate the surrounding air around it. And so in a paranormal voice, a disembodied voice, according to my model, what is happening is the actual surface of space is acting like the vocal cords. It is vibrating and giving off that compression wave that people can hear. It's acting as the vocal cords so that you literally hear a voice out of thin air. So my question then, Thomas, is who is on the other side making this happen? That's I, criminology. I mean, how, how, is this, how is it possible? That's criminology. I'm a forensist, remember? <laughs> we need to pair you up with somebody who can make that discovery. Mm-hmm. I've got the, uh, you know, you've got the victim laying on the, on the floor with a hole in their head. Yeah. <laughs> and you caught the criminal. I'm going to tell you how he killed the guy. I'm going to tell you the gun, the caliber, what it was made of, how far it was fired from, what kind of projectile it was. But it could be anybody holding the gun. I'm the forensic forensics. examiner. Yeah, you're the forensics. Right, and that's my value to the community. Because as soon as you get into the criminology, you get into all of that speculation... People saying, I envisioned something, I saw something. Everybody's opinion's a little different. And that's where you get into the area where it gets very muddy and very, you know, uh, very subjective. And the physics gets ignored. So all I can tell you is that (laughs) intelligence itself, is also a coherent pattern of information. And if information can be stored independently of the physical, then intelligences can also exist in this realm and can manifest themselves physically. 
Now, what would you call stupidity? Stupidity? <laughs> That's a lack of a mental ability. Yes, and there's a lot of <laughs> a lot folks of out there. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're we're all out of time, and a lot of them are going to be very upset because uh, they're they probably wanted to continue hearing you talk. But we're all out of time, Thomas, and it's stupid that we're out of time. And we got to have you back on pretty soon, man. You're a great guest to have on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, uh, and shoot me a date. I'll come back. I know you're a busy guy. Got a lot of guests, but uh, even if it's a few months ahead, we'll put it in the book and and. I'll be happy to come back. Sounds good, my friend. We definitely got to have you back on. Thomas Fusco, everybody. Real quick before you go, Thomas, give everybody your you know your address, uh, your website address, and uh, uh, the book again, we get to, so they can go out and pick it up. Yes, uh, the book is entitled "Behind the Cosmic Veil: A New Vision of Reality Merging Science, the Spiritual, and the Supernatural." Uh, Behind the Cosmic Veil is enough. Uh, you'll find it that way. The website that contains all the information, related articles, and links to where to get the book and get the best deal, uh, find that all at www.cosmicveil, and that's spelled V-E-I-L, cosmicveil.com. Awesome, Thomas. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thanks for having me again, Angel. Always a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine, believe me, sir. Guys, we're going to be back next week on Inside the Jackal's Head right here on PSN Radio and SoFlo Radio. So please stick around for that. There's more shows on the way here on the network. So please keep on listening. Don't go nowhere. It's always on PSN Radio. Take care, everybody.